This is Our House by Art, Humanity, and Action, a podcast where activists tell stories about the first time they realized they had to get involved and what happened next. I'm your host, Nicole Ferraro. I started to think I needed to get involved in a way that I hadn't before. It ain't over. We have a lot, a lot of fighting to do. I knew I had to be involved. I wanted to help. People call it a duty, like you have a duty to do certain things. You know, it started dawning on me that I have to do something. I have always had a strange time feeling like I, I mean, really know anything or have any kind of experience that people would want. That's Asher Novak. He is a Democrat, a storyteller, an organizer, and he's pretty humble because he's definitely somebody people turn to for information all the time. I know this because I am one of those people. But Asher wasn't always politically involved. He actually stumbled into politics while living in a friend's dining room after graduating from college when he got hired randomly on a city council campaign as, get this, deputy campaign manager. They lost that campaign, we don't blame Asher, but his love of New York politics only grew from there and he just kept finding himself in rooms with clipboards and petitions and pens. You just sort of get asked, hey, can you help out on this campaign? Can you help out on this campaign? It really usually is just three or four people in someone's basement and you're just pulling together whatever you can and printing out stuff wherever you can and you know, you're lucky if you have enough clipboards Enough clipboards eventually turned Asher into the guy we all turn to when we need answers most. And that was especially true after the 2016 election when suddenly everyone was turning to Asher asking, what do we do now? He had answers, he led workshops, he even organized buses to go down to DC for the Women's March. I was thinking about trying to understand and grapple with both the enormity of everything that was happening but also wrestling with this feeling that everything was still pretty safe. You know, I questioned, started questioning in my head, are people, or is the same amount of people around the world going to show up for a Black Lives Matter rally and for an immigration rally? And I didn't think so. I was the the week, that week um, after the march, I was uh, pretty cynical and just thinking, well, you know, it's, It's great, but, you know. That doubt and that cynicism lingered all week long until the following Saturday morning when Asher woke up to the sound of a text message. I woke up to a series of text messages from a friend of mine She was texting me early in the morning saying, there's something going on at JFK. We got to start getting stuff together. And I kind of just sat up and went, all right, I don't know really what's happening, but it's time to start getting to work. And so I started doing what I do and just telling people. Um, I told a few local council members and a few other groups, my club and the Get Organized folk. And so I'm sitting around in my apartment. My my friend who texted me in the morning, Molly, she calls me and she says, 
I'm in a car. We're on our way to JFK. We're swinging by Park Slope. We can pick you up if you can come downstairs in like five minutes. So I just put on some clothes and went outside and I was not prepared. I mean, like emotionally or physically, like at all. Like I didn't really have the right shoes. I didn't have gloves. I barely had a coat. It was pretty cold. got out there, there were probably maybe a couple dozen people. And there were some people with signs. I think a few people from Make the Road had just gotten there. The lawyers and the Congress members were inside already. And we just started leading some chants and kind of walking around in circles. And there, there wasn't much of a police presence. Like a few cops would come by and like put up some barricades. After a couple more hours, more people started showing up, and they, they kind of had to move the barriers back a little bit to let more people in. We, we were standing out there, and there was sort of this big power generator kind of in the middle of where we were. And every now and then, someone would hop up. And uh, at one point, this one guy hopped on and was just chanting, and he was leading chants, and people were, were going along with his chants. And uh, someone said something to him, about like, hey, can you say this to get this message out? Something about something that was going on. And he wasn't really sure what to do. Me and my friends just looked up and we were like, just yell people's mic. People's mic is basically like someone will get up on a ledge and they'll yell people's mic. And then whoever hears that yells out people's mic. And so it's this way of just communicating in really large crowds just by, just by talking and hearing the people around you. He was like, people's mic. And then people's mic, people's mic. Oh, that was really cool. What was that? And we explained. And uh, and he said, he was like, I have never done this kind of thing before. Like, the Women's March was the first time that I'd ever gone to any sort of protest. And, you know, am I doing okay? What should I be doing? We were like, you're doing great. Just keep doing everything you're doing. And he said, you know, I'm, I, I didn't really know what this was, but I knew that I had to be here. Eventually, when my friends and I were out there for probably seven, eight hours at that point, I really couldn't feel my feet. More people had come to the point where they were they were trying to figure out where to put people. Before we left, we went up to the top of one of the parking garages just to see. I mean, we were there in the middle of it. We had no real clue what was going on, and there were a couple thousand people spread out in front, all throughout the, the parking lot. Brooklyn and we're just hanging out at a bar watching some things on the news and we started seeing more people were showing up and in front of the courthouses in Brooklyn and people were protesting at O'Hare and LAX and different places all around the country and these were not safe spaces police didn't want us there they like kind of went back and forth on whether or not to have riot gear it was cold it was dark seeing that uh, people are going to start showing up in spaces that we, we need them to. To me, that's the important message. We're not really going to know necessarily what we're doing or why we're doing it, but showing up to these things is still the most important thing. Just last week, Asher got another text message. 
this time asking him to rush to LaGuardia Airport late at night to support the migrant children who were being flown into New York and separated by the Trump administration from their families. He showed up, and despite his initial fears, Asher was one of hundreds of protesters who answered that call that night. In a moment, we'll be back with Asher talking about his Democratic club, the Central Brooklyn Independent Democrats, where he serves as president, by the way, and what they're doing in the lead-up to the 2018 midterm elections. Hey, Asher. Hey. Thanks for being on the podcast. No, of course. Really appreciate you being here with us on this lovely day. Absolutely. Happy to be inside. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're focused on now and how your activism has evolved? Sure. So earlier this year, I um, became the president of my local political club, the Central Brooklyn Independent Democrats. It was an uncontested election. It wasn't the hardest backroom political deal. But it's uh, for me, for me, I, I wanted to step in and do it uh, to really try and foster a lot of the recent, you know, the activism and, and the club itself has grown. It's probably close to doubled in size in the last year and a half. Our club in particular, we are getting very involved in lots of different races. Can you talk about the midterm elections from that vantage point and what we should be really focused on? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more happening in New York than you might realize. We like to think of New York as this like beacon of progressivism and liberalism. Uh, the reality is it's not. Uh, and it's mostly controlled by Republicans on the state level. And congressionally, you know, we don't have to go to Pennsylvania or to, to Virginia to flip congressional seats. You just go down to Bay Ridge and Staten Island or go out to Long Island. This year, we also have New York state elections. Your New York State Assembly is up for re-election and the New York State Senate. They run on two-year terms. Uh, the New York State Senate is where all of the backroom inside baseball stuff has been happening in ways that most people haven't realized. The state Senate technically has 32 Democrats and 31 Republicans. However, there's one senator um, whose name is Simka Felder down in Flatbush in Brooklyn, who runs as a Democrat, wins as a Democrat, and then just straight up caucuses and votes with the Republicans. He's a Republican. There's been a group of senators that before 2016 was a a group of four or so that caucused on their own. They're called the Independent uh, Democratic Conference, the IDC. Again, they're Democrats in the sense that they run in the primary as Democrats. They win in the primary as Democrats. They win the general elections as Democrats because Democrats always win in New York City seats. They then voted with and caucused with the Republicans. They broke, they brokered a deal with Republican leadership. The IDC in 2016 grew its numbers to eight. So that means that they voted for the leader of the Senate body to be a Republican. So therefore, the body is controlled by Republican leadership. There are bills like the Reproductive Rights Act, like voting reform, like 
public school education that are being held up and are not reaching the floor in the Senate. They pass the assembly with ease every year for the last however long. And just as an example of why this is so important, for example, the Reproductive Health Act is something that we need in New York because New York State's uh, abortion laws aren't on par with Roe v. Wade. So if tomorrow, you know, Roe v. Wade went away, we don't have reproductive health in New York that protects us. So we need to secure these laws on a state level. And we have people like people you're talking about in the IDC essentially holding our government hostage, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Without Roe v. Wade, New York State's abortion access laws haven't been updated since the 60s. Now the shift has come. Every single one of the IDC members has a primary challenger, and they are all now running scared because there's a movement in support of this full slate of candidates. I've met all of them. I've seen them all speak. They're all wonderful people who actually care about their communities the primary is on September 13th. Petitioning for these candidates starts in June. And so the campaigns run over the summer. You know, these, these sorts of elections generally always have lower turnout. New York State still has some of the worst voting, uh, voting rights laws. Um, so vote, we don't make it easy to vote here in New York. It's actually in the bottom three or four in the country. So it's imperative on us to make sure that these eight candidates have the support that they really need. Like you said, the the legislation that's held up and the effect that things have is impacting New Yorkers in ways that you don't think about. I park on, uh, on turnout being low. I mean, we're talking about seven or 8,000 people, which means that three or 4,000 votes is going to win. And that means if you door knock and knock on three, four hundred doors, you're impacting 15, 20 votes. That, I mean, that can be the margin. In Virginia, we saw those delegate races there. We saw them decided by five, ten, one, you know, those one that was tied. You know, that's a few phone calls. That's a few text messages. That's a few postcards. So you've given us a lot of reasons to be involved and uh, step up. And you've also let us know that uh, we don't have excuses. No, no excuses. Give me one concrete action somebody listening who's really inspired and ready to go can take right now. I, I would recommend finding a group. It can be a political club. It can be a new resistance group, an indivisible group, uh, a rise and resist group, a code blue swing left, you know, they're, they're all around the country and there's, they're, they're localized. Find a group and just go to their meetings. I see people all the time. They say, you know, I've really, I haven't been that active the last couple months. And I say, that's fine. But that means in the fall, you got to step up when it comes time to it, just come around again. Um, but it starts by having someone that is sending you information and having a place that you can ask questions of. You also produce the Speak Up Rise Up Festival. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, so, so last year, I uh, produced a week-long storytelling festival called Speak Up, Rise Up. The, the festival really looked to bring together both the storytelling world and the activism world. The core of the festival is to uh, amplify and elevate people and communities and voices and stories that we don't get to hear. Um, And so the first one was a week-long festival. We had 25 shows throughout the week. 
there were seven different community groups that we also partnered with where we had community showcases. So groups like New York City Veterans Alliance and Planned Parenthood. There's a Ukrainian human rights group. And we sort of paired them throughout the week with different performers and podcast recordings and curated shows. There was one woman who did a show about joining and then leaving a cult. And then there were showcases. There was a Planned Parenthood showcase. It was all young women of color sharing stories about how Planned Parenthood influenced and impacted their lives, which was, um, I still, you know, almost a year later, people still tell me that, that some of those stories stay with them. Okay, Asher, I want to thank you for being on the podcast and in the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Nicole. Since Asher's interview, the IDC announced it was disbanding after receiving pressure from progressive groups. But those so-called former members are still up for re-election in the New York State primaries on September 13th. And despite their sudden support for progressive issues, nothing can assure us they won't keep voting with the Republicans if re-elected. So let's just be safe and not re-elect them, okay? Okay. Thank you so much to Asher Novak for being on the show and for all the work you do and all the questions you answer about what the rest of us can do. You can join Asher at the Speak Up, Rise Up Festival in New York in August. Check out the lineup, tickets, and date info all at speakupriseup.com. And of course, don't forget your tickets for Our House Live, our storytelling benefit for Swing Left coming up on July 31st. You'll hear stories about taking power back and your ticket costs will help flip the house blue this November. Details and tickets at arthumanityaction.com. The Our House podcast comes from Art, Humanity, and Action, and it's produced and edited by the great and powerful Jeff Rose. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another activist story next week.